All right, well, we're there in Isaiah 63, and we're almost, we're almost done with the book of Isaiah. We got, we're going we're gonna, to, Lord willing, if, if I'm able to preach every Sunday night till the end of the year, which I'm definitely planning on doing, we'll finish up right the last Sunday of the year. We'll finish up the last chapter of Isaiah, and we'll begin a brand new series on, uh, on Sunday nights, and we're going to stay far away from any big prophetic book for a while, all right, because this, is, this has been a, a trying, you know, 66 weeks of Isaiah. It's a great book, don't get me wrong, but sometimes you just need a little change, you know, but uh, I, like, I like Isaiah, and this chapter is an interesting chapter, Isaiah 63. If you look at verse number one, the Bible says this, who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, that uh, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. So the chapter begins with a question, and there's someone who's coming, and the question is asked, who is this that cometh from Edom? Now, uh, Edom is uh, the, the location where Esau and his descendants lived, and it says, with dyed garments from Basra. And I want you to make note of that word Basra there. That's a city in Edom. So they're, they're looking at someone coming from, from Edom, coming from Basra, and they ask this question. They said, who is this that cometh from Edom? And I want you to notice how they describe him. They say, with dyed garments. Now that word dyed there is referring to the fact that his garments are are colored. And they said, who's this that's coming from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel. He has nice clothes on, but they are dyed, traveling in the greatness of his strength. Now notice, the question is asked, and then the answer is given by the one who is traveling. He says, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. He says, they, they ask, who's coming? And he says, the one who speaks in righteousness. They ask, who's coming? And he says, the one that is mighty to save. Now I want you to keep your finger there. Isaiah 63, that's our text for tonight, but go with me to the book of Judges, Judges chapter number 5. Judges chapter number 5 in, in the Old Testament towards the beginning, you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then you have the book of Judges. Judges chapter number 5, and just a little bit, of, give you a little bit of context, Judges chapter 5 is a song uh, the chapter is a song that is sung by one of the judges, the only female judge in the book of Judges, Deborah, and her partner uh, in crime there, or her partner in righteousness, I guess, uh, Barak, who, remember, Barak was supposed to bring the people out and fight against Sisera, but he was too scared to do it, and God was judging them by sending a female judge uh, uh, to, to kind of have to uh, put a fire under Barak there and help him get do what he was supposed to do. And you remember that story where they won that battle, and, and in chapter 4. But in chapter 5, they are singing a song of praise because they won this battle. But what happens in chapter 5 is in this song, they begin to deal with a, a prophetic theme. And I'm going to show you the correlations between Isaiah 63, Judges chapter 5. We're also going to be going to the book of Revelation a lot. So kind of just be ready to flip back and forth. We're going to be comparing a lot of different passages. And uh, we'll, we'll finish up in the book of James towards the end of the sermon tonight. But uh, uh, just so you understand the context, because we're not going to read all of Judges chapter 5. But if you look at verse number four, I want you to notice the similarity uh, to similarity to Isaiah 63 and verse number one. Notice what verse four says. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir. Now Seir is again a location in Edom. He says, Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom. Do you see that? So they're talking about the Lord coming out of Seir, the Lord coming out of Edom. Now we know in Isaiah 63, one, that it's also the Lord who's coming from Edom, who's coming from Basra, because the Lord is the only one who speaks in righteousness. 
Jesus, and the Lord is the only one who is mighty to save. So these, these passages are talking about the same thing. Now, it's talking about the second coming of Christ. And here's how you know, because notice what happens in Judges chapter 5 and verse 4. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the fields of Edom, notice what happens. The earth trembled, and the heavens dropped. The clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel. So he says, when the Lord came from Seir, when the Lord came from Edom, he says, the, the, the earth trembled. He says, the mountains melted. He said, even Mount Sinai melted. And this is a reference. Deborah, as she's singing this song, is prophetically looking ahead to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to take the time to develop it, but we've seen it in the book of Isaiah, that when the Lord Lord comes and he steps on this earth and, and, he, and he comes back. The Bible says there's a great earthquake where nothing that is standing is left upright. Every building, every mountain, every structure that is upright, everything falls at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it pictures the fact that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Nothing is left standing when Jesus comes back. And here we see this in Judges chapter number 5. Now, now keep your finger there or put a bulletin or a bookmark or something there in, in Judges because we're going to be going back and forth. But, but go to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation uh, chapter number 19. And let me show you again just a little bit of those similarities. Because I want you to understand that the event in Judges chapter 5, the event in Isaiah 63, and the event in Revelation 19 are all referring to the same event. And as we compare them, we can see uh, a side of God that is often not talked about and often ignored. Revelation, last book in the New Testament, chapter number 19, if you look at verse number 11, the Bible says this, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Now I want you to notice what it says. And in righteousness he doth judge. You see that? And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now, that, that coincides with Isaiah 63.1 when the Lord who's coming from Edom, who's coming from Basra, Basra's a city in Edom, when they ask him, you know, who is this that's coming? He says, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Here in Revelation 19, we are told that when the Lord comes in that white horse, uh, he that is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge, and make war. Now, keep your finger there in Revelation 19. I know you got Isaiah 63, Judges chapter 5, Revelation 19. We're going to be flipping back and forth here in a minute. But go back to Isaiah 63, look at verse number 1 just real quickly. Isaiah 63, verse number 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom? And I don't have a map or anything to show you. I wish I did. Maybe I should have made a handout. But as you look at the map of the Middle East, and especially the nation of Israel, you will find that, you know, you've got the Sea of Galilee up top, and then you've got the Jordan River that comes out, you know, down, traveling south from the Sea of Galilee, and it ends at what's known as the Dead Sea. Uh, you know, that areas basically was known as the nation of Israel. Down at the bottom, you've got Judah. At the top, you've got the northern, northern Galilee, where Jesus was from and where a lot of his ministry was done. When you go south of that Dead Sea, you have Edom. And you have that town of Basra. So basically, as God, what the Bible is telling us here, is as God comes back, as he comes in the, his, the white horse, the second coming, he's going to come from that south. He's going to come from Edom into Jerusalem and into a valley uh, called Megiddo. We're going to look at that in a second. But look at Isaiah 63 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, Who is he that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, with colored garments from Basra? Look at verse 2. 
Wherefore art thou, notice, red in thine apparel. Do you see that? They said your, your garments are, are dyed. And they're, they're asking, they're asking him, why, are, why is your apparel red? They said, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel? And thy garments, notice what they said, thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. In the Bible times, and even now I think, uh, you know, what they would often do is they would take those, you know, when they were going to make wine, they would take the grapes and they would put them in a location where people would tread upon them. You've seen uh, people do that, you know, uh, maybe Brother, Brother Al, I'm sure he's seen that in Italy, right? Brother, have you done that? <laughs> Don't, you don't have to ask that question. But, uh, you know, you, they take their shoes off and they roll up their, their, their pants, right? And they get into this grape and they begin to trek. They begin to press down. And they begin to, with their feet, basically stomp down on, on the grapes. And, of course, grapes, you know, have that reddish type color. Wine has that red color. And, and what they're saying to him is they said, your, your garments are red. And they say to him, you look like someone who's been treading in the wine fat. They said, you look like someone who's been out there, you know, just stomping down on those grapes and making wine. Look at verse 3. He says, you're right, somewhat. He says, I have trodden. He said, I have been pressing down with my feet. He said, I have been, you know, uh, stomping on something. He says, I have trodden the winepress alone. And of the people, there was none with me. For, notice what it says, I will tread them. Doesn't say wine. Doesn't say grapes. He says, I will tread them in mine anger. And notice this word, trample. Now, trample means to press on with your feet. To stomp on. He says, and trample, notice, not grapes, trample them in my fury. He, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm going to be so mad. He said, I'm going to be so angry that I am going to trample, but not grapes. He says, I'm going to trample uh, them. He says, in my fury, I, I'm going to trample them in my fury. Notice Isaiah 63, verse 3, and their blood. You see that word, blood? And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. See, they, they said, why are you red? You look like you've been trampling wine. He says, I have been trampling, but it's not, it's not great. He said, I've been trampling people. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. And I will stain all my raiment. See, some of you, you, you need to start, you know, put, put the movies away and start reading the Bible. And you'll start seeing some exciting, some, you say, well, is that God's going to do that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He says he's trampling on people and the blood shall be sprinkled upon my garment and I will stain all my raiment. Verse 4, for the day of vengeance. Is that word vengeance? Now, word vengeance means punishment or revenge. He says the day of vengeance. Notice how God talks about this. is in my heart. He says the day of revenge, the day of punishment is in my heart. And the year of my redeemed has come. And I looked and there was none to help. He said, when I, when I went and started trampling, when I went and started stomping, when I went and started uh, uh, trampling on them and their blood, he said, there was nobody to help them. He said, and I looked and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me. And notice, my fury, he's talking about his anger, he's talking about his wrath, and my fury, it upheld me. And I will tread down the people. Just in case you had any doubt, Jesus Christ the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking. God in the flesh. And he says, I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk 
in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. Now, go, go, go back to Revelation chapter 19 and look at Revelation chapter number 19. And we already, verse, we already read verse number 11 because we saw the correlation there between the fact that it says, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save, and Revelation 19 verse of 1 says, and after these things I heard a great voice. I'm sorry, good night. Am I, what? Re- Revelation 19, yeah, verse number 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. But look at the similarities, verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. This is the second coming of Christ. I mean, the, the heavens were open, and Jesus is coming down on a white horse. His eyes are a flame of fire. He's got many crowns on his head. Look at verse 13. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. See, and often people read this and they'll think, oh, his, de- his, his vesture is dipped in blood. And that's a picture of his sacrifice, the fact that he died on the cross for our sins and it's his blood. But you got to understand, it's not his blood. It's their blood. He's been trampling on people. He's been stomping on people. He's been uh, bringing his fury and his anger on people. Now, keep your finger in Revelation 19. Go to Revelation chapter 14, look at verse 10. Okay? Now, actually, yeah, go to Revelation 19, or 14 and, and verse, verse 10. But just real quickly, I know you've got your fingers everywhere. But go, go back to Isaiah because I want you to see the verse. Uh, Isaiah 63, verse 6. Okay? Because I want to show you a parallel between Isaiah 63, 6 and Revelation 14, 10. In Isaiah 63... Six, he says, I will tread down the people in mine anger, and I want you to make note of this phrase, and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. He said, I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. Now go to Revelation 14 and look at verse number 10. Revelation chapter number 14 and verse number 10. Notice what the Bible says. Revelation 14, 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God. That's the same phrase. The idea is there, I will make them drunk in my fury. Isaiah uh, 63, 6, uh, Revelation 14, 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, now skip down to verse number 14, just for sake of time, and let's, let's see how this same event is described in Revelation 14. Now, in Revelation 14 and verse number 14, we begin with what we called the rapture, okay? It says, and I looked and behold a white cloud. You remember Revelation 1-7, you have to turn there, but Revelation 1-7 tells us, behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, right? So Revelation 14 and verse 14, he says, and, and I looked and behold a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. We know that's the Lord Jesus Christ, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now, we don't have time to go to it, but if you remember in, Ma- in the book of Matthew, you have the parable of the, uh, of the tares among the wheats. And when Jesus went through and explained what that parable meant, he said that the harvest was the end of the world. He said that the angels were actually the ones that are going to reap. And he said that the wheat were basically believers. The tares were those that were sown there by, you know, the child of the wicked one. 
and, and he used that illustration. And here he's using that illustration and saying that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, came on a white cloud and he thrust in the sickle and he is reaping the world. Now we know from that parable and we know from here that that initial reaping is a reaping of believers. He's bringing, you know, in Matthew 24, it talks about the fact that he sends out the angels and, and they, and they uh, grab out all the elect. But look at verse number 17, and I want you to notice that after that initial reaping of the what, what we would call the rapture, there's another reaping, verse 17. And another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that hath a sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it, notice, into the great winepress of the wrath of of God. Wrath is referring to the anger of God. So there's a second reaping where he basically gathers these people and he casts them into the winepress of the wrath of God. Verse 20. And the winepress, notice the similarities, was trodden without the city. And the blood, notice, came out of the winepress even unto the horses' bridles. Because if you remember, in Isaiah 63, he said, their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garment. And here's what he's saying. And you got to get this idea. And I'm not trying to be gruesome, or I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, uh, put, put a bad thought in your mind. But this is the Bible. And here's what the Bible is telling us, that Jesus goes out and he brings in that harvest of believers. He sends out the sickle to bring them in. But then he sends a sharp sickle. And they go out and they gather together the clusters, the grapes, and he throws them into the winepress of the wrath of God. And the Bible says that they begin to press down. They begin to trample on. They begin to trod the, the winepress. And the blood, notice verse 20, the blood came out even unto the horse's bridle. The blood is sprinkling and splashing back that even the horse is getting just filled with the blood. And that's why when he comes on that horse, the Bible says, why, they, they ask him, why are your garments dyed in red? Looks like you've been out in the wine fat. But it's blood. Notice the end of verse 20, by the space of 1,600 furlongs. Now, now go back to Judges chapter 5, and let me show you how this is all connected to the same event. It's the same thing that's going on here. In Judges chapter 5 and verse 22, notice what the Bible says. Because not all of Judges 5 is about this event. A lot of it has to deal with the actual battle that went on with Sisera. But there are some passages in that chapter that are reflecting back to this day of the wrath of God. Judges chapter 5, verse 22. Then were the horse hoofs broken by the means of the prancing. Now, prancing is basically a horse trampling or stomping on something the prancing of their mighty ones. So he's saying they, they were prancing so hard, these horses, that the horse hoofs were broken. I mean, their, their shoes were, were broken because they were stomping so hard uh, on these people. Go back to Judge, uh, Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 19, look at verse number 14. And, and, and we're going to come right back to, to, to Judges 5, so keep your finger there. But look at Revelation 19. I'm just trying to show you the similarities in these passages. Revelation 19, 
verse 14, we already saw that Jesus, remember the heavens were open, and there came one on a white horse, right? But notice he doesn't come alone. In verse number 14, the Bible says, and the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. So this is the believers that are coming with him, you know, the the saints that are coming with him, and we are following him on white horses. Now go to Judges chapter 5 and look at verse number 10. Judges chapter number 5 and verse number 10, the Bible says this, and it's, it's similar. He says, speak ye that ride on white asses. Do you see that? White asses, ye that sit in the judgment and walk by the way. Now, you may say, well, an ass is not exactly a horse. It's a mammal that's related to the horse. You know, I don't know. Maybe some of us are going to be on asses. Some of us are going to be on horses. But you've got this idea that you've got people coming on white asses in Judges 5. You got them coming on white horses in Revelation. They are prancing or treading or, uh, uh, you know, tromping down. They are spitting up blood to the point where Jesus' garment, as he comes, is dipped in blood. And people are saying, looks like you've been out in the wine fat. And he says, well, I have been out treading, but this is blood that's on me. Now, you're there in the book of Judges, chapter 5. Go, go to verse number 19, just to get an idea. You say, well, when is this event going to take place? What, this, this event, when, when Jesus comes in a horse and he's trampling down on people, He's stomping down on people. He, 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 he's trotting down on people. When is this going to happen? Judges chapter 5, and look at verse number 19. Notice what the Bible says. And the kings came and fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan and Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. Now, in the Old Testament, you see this word Megiddo. In the New Testament, we, uh, it's Armageddon. And, and we've all heard of the Battle of Armageddon. It's called Armageddon because it happens in the valley of Megiddo. They took no gain of money. Notice, notice this is, they're not talking about a, 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 the, the actual fight that just happened with Sisera and Barak and Deborah and those things. Because in verse 20, notice what, he, what she says. She says, they fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. So said, this is a heaven. They're coming from heaven to fight. The rivers of Kaishan swept them away. The ancient rivers, the rivers of Kaishan. Oh, my soul. Notice the similarities. Thou hast trodden down strength. See that word trodden? Then were the horse hoofs broken by the means of the prancing and the prancings of their mighty ones. Go to Revelation chapter number 16. Revelation chapter number 16. Revelation chapter number 16 and look at verse number 12. See, the Bible tells us that God is going to gather these people together and put them in the wine fat. And you say, well, where is that wine press? Where is that place? Well, we already saw in Isaiah and in in the book of Judges that it's going to be Edom. It's going to be Basra because he's coming from Edom. He's coming from Basra. He's coming from Seir. He's already trampled. The people that he's coming to are saying, why are your garments dyed in red? Why do you look like you've been in the wine fed? He's already trodden them down. He's given us the location where this is going to happen. And of course, the Megiddo is, is in a different location than, than Edom. You know, and, and the Bible says this about these prophetic type things. Paul said that we look through a glass darkly. And, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you I understand how all of this is going to work, but there's going to be a battle called Armageddon, and God is going to set up this battle uh, to be able to fight against them. In Revelation 16, the Bible tells us partly of how he does that. Look at verse number 12. Now, in Revelation 16, 
what we have is we're looking at the different angels pouring out their vials. And the vials are basically the wrath of God being poured down upon this earth. This is already after the rapture. This is already after those things have happened. Verse number 12, the Bible, this is already after the tribulation. Verse 12, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Now, if, if, you, if you look at a map, maybe look at a map in, in, your, in your Bible, you will notice that north of the nation of Israel, you have uh, the river Euphrates. You have that, the river, the Tigris River. Those two rivers kind of run parallel. Um, that area is called Mesopotamia, and of course that's where Babylon is, and I've been doing all sorts of reading about Babylon and getting ready for this film that uh, I'm going to be interviewed for uh, here in a couple of days, but that, that, that's what he's talking about, is that river up north of the nation of Israel, and it says, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the waters thereof was dried up, so he dries up the river Euphrates. Why does he do that? that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So he basically clears out the river so that the kings of the east can come in to the valley of Megiddo, can come in towards the nation of, uh, 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 of, that, of Israel, that, that location there. Verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon. We know that dra- the dragon is Satan there. And out of the mouth of the beast... And we know that's the Antichrist and his kingdom. And out of the mouth of the false prophets, we know that's the other uh, beast that came up after the first beast, verse 14. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, notice, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. Here's why they go forth. To gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Now, I, I just want to just stop for a second and say, because so often people will say to me, you know, because I'll, I'll preach against this charismatic movement, I'll preach against Benny Hinn, and I'll preach against these, you know, name it and claim it, prosperity, slap you upside the head, we're going to heal you, and we're going to speak in tongues. And, and sometimes people will say to me, well, they actually healed someone, or they actually did, and I don't know if that's true or not, but here the Bible tells us, if you look at verse 14, it says, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles. Just because they can do miracle, just because they can bring fire down from heaven, doesn't mean they came from God. God, you got to understand, devils and Satan, they have power to do these things. And it says, for they are the spirits of the devil working miracles. Why are they working miracles? Which go forth unto the kings of the earth. Why are they going to the kings of the earth and of the whole world? To gather them together, to gather them to battle, to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. And I always think it's funny, these pre-tribbers always want to tell us, the Bible says he comes as a thief. He's coming as a thief to the haters of God, okay? He's coming as a thief to the battle of Armageddon. They're not expecting what's about to happen. He's not talking to believers. He's not talking about the rapture. The Bible says that we are not as they that, are, that sleep. We can see the signs. We can see the fact that, that things are getting closer. And obviously, we don't know the day or the hour, but we're, we're not as, we don't have to, he doesn't, the Bible even says he doesn't come as a thief to us. We can be ready and we can be watching and we've been commanded to watch. But notice verse 15. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garment, lest he uh, walk naked and they see his shame. Verse 16. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And that's Megiddo, Judges 5.19. Now you say, well, what happens in this battle of Armageddon? Go, Go to Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter number 19, look at verse number 15. Revelation chapter number 19 and verse number 15. Revelation 19 and verse 15 says this. And out of his mouth, because remember, we already read the fact that he comes in a white horse, his garment is dipped in blood, 
His name is called the Word of God, verse 13. Verse 14, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in linen, white and clean. Now notice verse 15. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And does this sound familiar? And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men. That term mighty men is talking about uh, men of, that are warriors or soldiers. And the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the Jews. Is that what it says? It says gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. See, there's so much false teaching out there and people try to teach that the battle of Armageddon, the battle at Megiddo, it's going to be the Antichrist going against the Jews. He's going to fight against the Jews and then Jesus is going to show up and save the Jews at the last minute. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says they gathered together to fight against him. They're gathered together to fight against the one that's on the white horse. They're not gathering together to destroy the Jews. Hey, the Antichrist is the one that built the temple. The Antichrist is the one that went into the temple and declared himself God. He's not fighting against himself. He's fighting against the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's happening at the Battle of Armageddon. And notice what happens, verse 20. And the beast was taken, that's the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive, in a lake, uh, uh, cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. The battle didn't last very long. Jesus shows up and picks up the beast, picks up the false prophet, throws him into the lake of fire. These are the first people that are thrown into the lake of fire. And I don't have time to go into it, but hell and the lake of fire are two different locations. Hell will be put into the lake of fire, and they're basically the same thing. In fact, the terms are used interchangeably in the Bible. But right now, they are two different locations. The first people that go into the lake of fire are the beast and the false prophet here at the Battle of Armageddon, verse 21. And the remnant, this is their armies and their soldiers and all these people, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So, sorry guys, you're not going to really be doing any fighting in this battle. We're coming in white horses, but we're kind of just the cheerleaders for the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes care of the whole thing. Just with the word of his mouth, he destroys them. And he, with the word of his mouth, he takes the beast of false prophet, and he destroys his army. This is what's known as the battle of Armageddon. But when he's done, when he's done destroying them, the Bible says he's going to come down on that horse. And he's going to trample on them. He's going to tread on them. He's going to, to, to stomp on them to the point where the blood is just spraying on his garments, spraying on his horse. And as he enters into Jerusalem to begin the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, those that are there will be asking, who is this? It looks like he's been in the wine fat. Why are his garments dyed in red? Why, has he been out you know, making wine? And he's going to say, no, I've been out trampling, but it's blood. He says, I'm so angry. He said, I'm so wrathful. He said, I have so much fury that I just stomped them down with the white horse that he's 
caring. See, go, go back to Isaiah 63. And here's what you got to understand. And, and I, I don't know about you. But when you think about the fact that there are people that are going to be gathered together to battle against Jesus, and Jesus is going to trample them down with his horse. I mean, think about the fact that bones will be broken and, and, and wounds will be opened and blood will be shed. That doesn't really make me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. You know, th- there's a reason why Joel Osteen doesn't preach the Bible. There's a reason why Billy Graham doesn't preach the Bible. There's a reason why these, you know, Rick Warren, they, they, don't, they don't go to these passages about God. Because usually what we want about God is the stuff that makes us feel good. We want the love of God. We love it when the, the sermon's on the love of God and God is love and, and, and the fruit of the Spirit and all those things. And all those things are good and we need to preach those things. And the Bible talks about the love and kindness of God. In fact, in Isaiah 63, if you look at the very next verse, verse number 7, go, go back to Isaiah 63, verse 7. It, it's interesting to me the, the, how, how, how the, the entire chapter kind of shifts because he's talking about he's going to destroy these people. He's going to trample these people. He's going to, you know, just in his anger and his wrath... And then in verse 7, he says this, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord. And you think, what? <laughs> you know, you're just talking about trampling people to death. And he says, I will mention the, notice the words, loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he had bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindness. Now notice, in verse 7, you got these words. Loving kindness, goodness, mercies. And you got the word loving kindness again. Notice verse 8. For he said, surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their savior. In all their afflictions, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them in his love. And in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bare them. And carried them all the days of old. That's what we like. We want the sermon about the fact that Jesus loves me and he pities me and he'll bear me and he'll carry me and he'll protect me and, and he'll save me. We, we, we like that side of God. But notice, there's another side of God. Look at verse 10. But they rebelled and vexed. The word vexed means to irritate, to dispute with his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemy. And he, talking about God, fought against them. Go to, go to the book of John, John chapter number 3. John chapter 3. See, you got to understand this. There's two sides to God. The liberals today, the contemporary Christian, shallow, you know, just come in and listen to our rock concert for 45 minutes and we're not going to give you a lot of Bible. That type of Christianity wants to focus on the love of God. They want to do 66 weeks on grace, 52 weeks on love. You know, they want to do all these things. And look, we, have, we need to talk about the grace of God and the love of God. And, and we have, you know, the fact that Jesus said that he'd rather us, you know, show uh, mercy than sacrifice. And I understand all that. But you need to understand this. God is love, yes, but God is also holy. God is love and merciful, but God will also judge. See, there's a good side to God that we would say, that's the good side. That's the nice side. Here's the part of God we like, John 3.16. Let's look at it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now look, I love John 3.16. But there is a reason why John 3.16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. There's a reason why, you know, at football games people put up a sign they put John 3.16. They don't put Revelation 19. They don't put Isaiah 63. 
They put John 3.16. Why? Because it's a great verse. It's a loving verse. For, the, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a great thought. Verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. We love that. But you know what we forget? We forget verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son, notice, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Say, so what is that wrath of God? We just read it. What is that wrath of God? The anger, the fury of God. See, there, there are two sides to God. God is all love, but God is also holy. God, God, God's not just going to allow things to go. He's got to punish sin. Now listen, you know, that's what salvation is. That's why Jesus, it's not that he just, you know, gave us a pass and said, well, I know you sin, but I'm not going to punish you. Our sins were punished in Jesus Christ. He took our wrath. He took our, our, the, the stripes. By his stripes, we were healed. Jesus took our punishment because God could not allow. Now, think about just the love of God. Where a holy God says, I cannot let sin go. I cannot let sin go unpunished. I cannot let, allow for sin to not be punished. But I love them so much. Here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, I'm just going to ignore it or turn a blind eye. He said, I will become man and I will take their punishment. That's the love of God. Not that he ignores our sin, but that he took our sins. But see, when people reject that, when people say, I don't want that, when people say, I, I, I think I'll just work my way to heaven. When people, when people say, I think I'll just live a good life. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just get, you know, catechized, and I'll just go to the confessional booth, and I'll just repent of my sins, and I'll just speak in tongues, and I'll just get baptized, and I think that I might live a good enough life to go to heaven. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to just focus on being a good person. When people reject Jesus, Amen. you know what they have in store for them? The wrath of God. And we don't like to talk about it. And we don't like to talk about a loving Jesus that comes on a white horse and tramples people. We don't like to talk about a loving Jesus that comes on a horse and, and, and defeats people. But the Bible says there is a nice side, there is a loving side, and there is a holy side. Go, go, go back to Revelation 14. Let me just show you a couple things. We're going to finish up here in a minute. Revelation chapter 14. Look at verse number 10. Revelation chapter number 14 and verse 10. Because people get this idea. And here's what people think. They think, well, Jesus is good and the devil is bad. You know, Jesus is all about heaven and then the devil's the one that torments people in hell. But you got to understand that the Bible doesn't teach that. Amen. The Bible teaches that the devil will be tormented in hell. Satan's not running the show down in hell. Let me show you exactly who's running the show. We already read it, but let's look at it together again. Revelation 14, look at verse 10. Revelation 14, verse 10. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels. Notice what the Bible says. And in the presence of the Lamb. You want to know who's running the show in hell? Jesus. You want to know who they're going to be tormented in the presence of who? Not Satan, the Lamb. Not Satan, the holy angels. It is the wrath of God that is poured out in hell. And you say, well, that's kind of gruesome, that whole, that's just, that, the battle of Armageddon, that happens here on earth. That's just a battle here on earth. Wait till they get to hell. They'll be tormented day and night forever and ever in the presence of the Lamb. Because there's a wrath of God. There's a love of God. But there's a holy God that cannot allow sin to go unpunished. 
See, that's why you said, Pastor Man, why do you guys push so much this soul winning thing around here? And ever since I started coming to church, all I hear is soul winning, soul winning, soul winning seminar this, and show up for Saturday soul winning and go there. Let me explain something to you. The Bible is more than just about helping you with your finances. Now, I think the Bible can help you with your finances. In fact, I preach a whole series to try to help you with your finances. I preach a whole series to try to help you with your marriage. I preach a whole series to try to help you with your children. I preach a whole series to try to help you to become better people on this earth. But the Bible speaks of more than just us living a nice and comfortable life on earth. The Bible speaks about the fact that there is a day of wrath coming. And people who aren't saved are going to die and go to hell. And that wrathful, angry, holy, righteous God will punish their sins, and he will be justified in doing it. And you and I, you and I have the gospel. You and I can go to an individual who, if they don't hear the truth, they will spend eternity in hell. They will meet that God. They will meet that Jesus on that horse that will trample them down. And we can come to them and say, hey, you can be forgiven of your sins. Hey, you don't have to die and go to hell. Hey, the wrath of God doesn't have to abide upon you. But you'd rather go gardening? You'd rather go to the park. Well, Pastor, you understand, I just don't have time for so long. I'm just so busy. You're, so, you're too busy to what? You understand that there is a wrathful God? Well, I'm just a little too shy. Do you understand that there's a wrathful God? The Bible says if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And here's the funny thing. If you're saved tonight, you are saved because somebody took the time and opportunity to give you the gospel. Amen. And you can't return the favor. And you can't go to a coworker or a neighbor or a friend or a loved one and say, hey, let me tell you something that you may not know. But there is a wrath of God. You can't take the time to be trained at a soul wing seminar how to give the gospel properly so you stop spinning your wheels out there and you can't figure out why nobody gets saved is because you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> this is serious business. Amen. I mean, do you believe in heaven? Do you believe in hell? Do you, do you think this is all fairy tales? There is a wrath. Of God. There's a love of God. There's a Jesus that died on the cross to pay for our sins. But that same Jesus will be tormenting those who do not get saved in hell. And we need to realize that. We need to grasp that. We need to understand that this is not a game. The Bible is serious. And even in our Christian lives, because notice what the Bible says there in, in Isaiah 63. Look at verse 10. Well, I'm going to show you two verses. We'll finish them. But they rebelled. And vexed his Holy Spirit, therefore he was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. The context here is he's talking about his, the, the children of Israel at the time in the Old Testament. Let me show you this idea as a New Testament believer. Go to James chapter 4. It's the last passage we'll look at tonight. We'll be done. James chapter 4. Look at verse number 4. James chapter 4, verse 4. James chapter 4, verse 4. James 4, 4, the Bible says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, Hebrews, James, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Now look, James is talking to believers. He says, don't you know when you become a friend of the world, you put yourself at odds with God? That word enmity means hostility. It means animosity. He said, don't you know when you become a friend of the world, you, 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 be, you put yourself in a hostile position 
against God. You, it, it puts you at enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be friend of the world is the enemy of God. See, we need to get away from this idea that God doesn't really care, and I can just do whatever I want, and I can just miss church, and I can just watch whatever on TV, and I can just listen to whatever garbage music, and I can just live however I want, and I can just come to church and put on a little tie and get my little sermon on love and feel religious and then go off in my merry way and just live for the world. And, and God's okay with it because here's the thing. God's not okay with it. In fact, he turns against you when you become friends with the world. And we need to just get back to an idea of a holy God, a pure God who cares, who cares about the way you and I live our lives. You don't get saved by works. I know you don't get saved by works. But you want to be a friend of God? It's depending on your works. You want to be turned into the enemy of God? It depends on your works. You want to get people saved? You better get to work. There's a real, true wrath of God. 